if you will, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15 so you can follow along with me. We are going to be all over the place in these 11 verses in John chapter 15. It's John chapter 15 verses 1 through 11 is what we'll be studying today. And the topic is joy as we're proceeding through Advent. Do you know that Christmas is only, what is it, two weeks? Is that right? It's on a Sunday. Two weeks away? I can't believe that. Are you done with your shopping? Have you begun your shopping? Have you gotten my gift? I assume that was first on your list. As you're flipping there, um, to introduce this passage, do you know how there's, there are, um, how to introduce this passage? Things are the way they are. That's a profound statement, isn't it? That's like, it is what it is. What does that even mean? Things are the way they are. And if we can live in light of the reality, of the way things are, the better life goes. So take food and dieting, for example. There's just a way things are. We're supposed to eat healthy things. If we just lived according to that reality, our bodies would function a lot better. We'd feel a lot better. And you have all these amazing diets, and I cannot believe that they're still writing new diet books when it's really very simple. We're just not supposed to eat things that will kill us. I heard one dietitian, his whole diet was eat food, not too much, mainly plants. Period. That's his whole diet revolutionary philosophy. I know this. Did you guys know that? You know that. Do we live by that? I don't live by that. Uh, yesterday I specifically was going to only eat healthy food because I've made a uh, series of bad dietary decisions this week and I was feeling really bad because of it. So I said, okay, I'm going to start. I'm just going to eat healthy. Rest of my life, I'm just eating healthy. And, and it was uh, just before lunch and I told Meredith, I was like, hey, so far so good. I've only eaten healthy stuff. And then she went off to do some Christmas shopping and within an hour I had eaten half a carton of ice cream. <laughs> so, but if I, if I could live according to that reality, I'd feel a lot better. Um, that's sort of what we have here in this passage we're going to read. Jesus is just presenting the way things are. And in terms of joy and emotional life, it's the same as uh, with our physical bodies. If we could just live according to the reality, the way things are, we would experience joy. That's the promise of this passage. So if you would, if you're able, as we always do, if you would stand as an expression of honor for the reading of God's word, there's no other book like it. We'll read John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. 
If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. So Jesus is presenting the way things are. And the way things are is you, Christians, are like branches. Jesus is like the vine, the true vine. And the Father is like the vine dresser. So follow the analogy. No analogy is perfect, but... The point is, you Christians are like branches. You grow out of the vine, which is Jesus. And the Father is like the vine dresser who prunes and maintains the whole vine, all the branches, to make sure it develops fruit. You with me so far? I know you guys aren't uh, vine people. What do you call people that have vineyards? Vine people? I think that's what they call them. Um, Now, note, you being like a branch... It's interesting in of itself, because a branch, it's not the beginning or the end. A branch isn't the source of anything. The vine's the source of the life, and the branch isn't really the ultimate result. The fruit is the ultimate result. So you are a branch, and your joy is connected to what you're plugged into and what you're producing. You need to be plugged into Jesus Christ and producing fruit. Now, again, I know you're not vine people, but I bet you have smartphones. Who has a smartphone? Not as many as I expected, or you're too cold to raise your arm. It is cold in here. I asked Alicia to let me wear her fur coat. She wouldn't let me wear it. So this is going to be a tough illustration for me because I'm about a decade behind technologically. But if Jesus were here today, the illustration might be more like you are like the phone Jesus is like the network, and God keeps it all running. But your iPhone is really cool, but ultimately not worth much if you can't get connected to the network or the Internet. You can have all kinds of neat apps on there, but ultimately it's going to be about like those handheld games we used to have as kids. You know the handheld baseball games where it was just a little blinking red dot that would come towards the batter and you push the one button? And the little, You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's... It's a neat little device, but it's ultimately not worth much if you're not connected to the network, if you can't actually use it to communicate or get information or the entertainment you're looking for. That's sort of what he's saying. Branches aren't worth much if they're not connected to the source, Jesus Christ. And they're not worth much if they're not producing the fruit that we'll figure out what he's talking about later. Um, So... What does it mean to be plugged in to the source, to be a branch that's actually grafted in and plugged into Jesus Christ? Well, the big clue is the word abide. Did anybody hear the word abide as I read that passage? About 150 times in there. It gets confusing. It's in there so many times. You abide in Jesus. He abides in you. You abide in his love. His word abides in you. We need to figure out what he's talking about. So the word abide, it means basically remain in or live in or stay in. 
So literally, I could say I abide through the woods in the church parsonage. That's where I stay. That's where I remain. Um, it's a pretty common word. You know what? You're following me, right? So, but what does that mean? It's so hard because spiritual language is so spiritual. It's hard to put flesh on it and make it tangible. What does it mean? How do you know if you're abiding in Jesus? I'll bet you all probably think you are. How do we know that we're abiding in Jesus? Well, there's some clues in here. And I'm just going to read some verses and we'll put it together. Verse 4, he says, Abide in me and I in you. So it has to do not just with us being in him, but him being in us. Verse uh, 5, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away. Verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. So it has to do with his words living in you. Abiding in Jesus has to do with his words abiding in you, living in you. This book is a living thing. Jesus' words are living things. And you know that you're abiding in Jesus when his words abide in you. So that's your first question. Does God's word, does Jesus' words live in me? Or is this a pleasant book that I occasionally give a nod to? It always comes back to the same things. You're lacking joy? Is, are Jesus' words abiding in you? That may be your first step. Well, how do I get his words to abide in me? Well, you have to read. You have to read it. And I know a lot of people aren't big readers. But I'm sorry, I, I have to believe that you can get over that because God revealed himself in a book. I have to believe that we can all be readers. So we read and we absorb it and we take it in. But it's more than just that. And we'll keep, we'll keep looking at the clues to figure out what it means. Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. Okay, so we need to abide in Jesus. Jesus needs to abide in us. His word needs to abide in us. And we need to abide in his love. So how do you abide, stay, remain in Jesus' love? What does that mean? Is this as mind-bending to you as it is to me? I had a really hard time getting all this orchestrated to explain to you. I'm just going to lay it out there what it means. Based on this passage... Jesus loves you so much that you already have everything you need to be joyful. According according to this passage, if you are a Christian, you're already made clean. You're already perfectly clean. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus' perfection, his purity, his cleanness. If you're a Christian, you're already grafted in. You're, You're already a branch. And you already have his love. So you don't have to apply your energies to those three things. You don't have to devote your life to trying to clean yourself up. It's already been done. That's the good news. That's the gospel. You don't have to apply your energy in life to trying to become a branch. I've got to get plugged into God. It's already been done. Jesus has made you a branch. He has grafted you in. You don't have to apply yourself to earning God's love. You already have it. It's already been done. 
Let me read that out of the Bible so you know I'm not just making things up. Verse 3, it says, Already you're clean because of the word that I've, spo- that I've spoken to you. See, he knows. Jesus is a good teacher. He knows that we'll hear this and we'll start to think, i got to do a bunch of stuff. i got to be better. i got to be better. He says, well, you're already clean. You've already got that. It's just assumed in the context of the chapter that you're already grafted in. You're already a branch. Because that's what he says. He says, I'm the, I'm the vine. You're the branches. You're already the branches. In verse uh, 9, he says, as the Father's loved me, um, so I've loved you. You already have all that. You already have everything you need to be joyful. I'm getting off notes here, and then I don't know how to get back on. I'm just going to keep moving this train of thought. I think most of you know those things. I can tell, too, by kind of the glazed-over looks I'm starting to get. Like, I know, he tells me all the time, Jesus did it all, I don't have to do it all. I think you know those things. But that's just part one of the way things work. You need to be plugged into that, living in light of that love, letting his words live in you, so you're always reminded that Jesus has done all this. But that's just part one. Part two is producing fruit. So you can stay plugged into God and know all this stuff and even read the Bible and still miss out on fullness of joy. Some of you have probably lived that way for several years. And maybe it's because you're missing part two, which is producing fruit. You have to be plugged into the source and you have to be producing the result to be fulfilling your whole, your whole identity as a branch. So let's look at that. What does he mean by keeping, by producing fruit? Because we want to do that, right? We don't want to, you know, accept all that great stuff and then stop. That would be like going to um, an anniversary dinner with your spouse. They, um, you guys look like your heads are about to explode into flames. That sun is shining right on you, and I could tell it's like painful. Everybody else wishes they were sitting there because it looks warm. Sorry, I'm easily distracted. It would be like going to an anniversary dinner where your spouse says, I'm taking you out. Get all dressed up, get on your finest jewelry and whatever, your finest clothes, and you drive to, what's the nicest restaurant in Charlotte? What's that steak place with the horrible name that you, can't bear, you can barely say? Ruth's Crisp? Who named that dumb steakhouse? We're going to Ruth's Crisp Steakhouse. Put on your nicest clothes, and you go, and you're sitting at the table, and you just look beautiful. You got it all. You got the... the the something to celebrate and you've, you're dressed for the occasion and you've got everything you need and your food's sitting there and you never eat it. And all you do is fidget around and make sure you're looking good and you never eat the plate set in front of you. That's where many Christians in the church are. You've got your salvation, you've got your, your, your cleansing, your pure, purification from Jesus, you've, you've got the fact that you're grafted into God, you've got the fact that you have all this stuff set in front of you, but you never eat the food. You never take the next step. You never move forward towards being fruitful. So many of us are living fruitless lives and missing out on joy because of it. Now, what am I talking about fruit? Again, this is Bible language. You have to work to figure out what he's talking about. But there's clues about that as well. Um, Many of you, your minds may first go to the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians, love, joy, peace, and so on. I don't think that's what he's talking about. 
Because that's the fruit of the Spirit. We're talking about the fruit of Christians. I think he's talking about something different. So he moves on. He says, um, you know, you've got to bear fruit. This whole system is arranged so that you'll bear fruit. If you don't bear fruit, the Father's going to lop you off. If you do bear fruit, it proves you're one of my disciples. You've got to bear fruit. And then he says, um, if you do this, if you abide in my love, it will mean that you're abiding in my commandments. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. That's what it says in verse 10. Just as I've kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. So what it looks like is keeping Jesus' commandments. Keep following me here. What are Jesus' commandments? Well, there's a ton of them. There's four biographies of Jesus, and they're full of things that we need to be doing and not doing. And beyond that, the whole Bible, which is, is really is God's word as well, Jesus' word as well, a ton of commandments. So what, what specifically can we be doing? If only he would have simplified it. If only he would have boiled it down to maybe the top two. Man, that would have made it easier. Well, he did. And it's the same thing I tell you every week. And it's always a mess, but I'm going to ask anyway. What are the big two? What's the big number one commandment? Yes. Love God with everything in you. What's the number two commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. So love God, love people. Okay, so if we, after we're already cleansed, grafted in, loved, if we apply ourselves to that, that's what it looks like to abide in Jesus' love. But I think it goes deeper than that. So he goes, right after that, he goes into verse 12 and he says, what's in his mind at that moment, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. So you can tell his train of thought is going towards, I want you to be joyful. You're plugged into, into me already through the gospel. Now love people, love each other. But I think there's even more than that in his train of thought because if you keep reading, things start to get dark. I'll tell you what I mean. Like in verse 18, he's talking about, you know, happy stuff. Your branches, I'm the vine, go, you're clean, go love people, and you'll be joyful. That's all happy stuff. And then all of a sudden at 18, he's like, now if the world hates you like it hated me, don't be surprised. And why does it get that dark all of a sudden? I mean, if, if your joy is going to be made full just by being sweet to people, Loving people, giving people, you know, things, uh, Christmas dinner, providing for people, giving to charities. Why would the world hate you because of that? It wouldn't. See, I think he, he means more than just being nice to people. And you can probably guess what I think he means if you've listened to every sermon I've preached over the last year. I think he means make disciples. That's been my big theme. It smacks me in the face out of almost every passage. Love God and love people. And the purest expression of that is making disciples. And you won't find joy until you're engaged in that mission. You may be joyish, but you won't be joyful. Like you may have pleasant things happen and you may have warm feelings, but you won't be full of vibrancy and joy until you're plugged into Jesus Christ. And then just lit on fire with this mission of making disciples. And I have to be really clear, that's for you. 
that's for you. It's not just for super Christians or for me. That's the design. Making disciples. I'm convinced of it. For one thing, finish this sentence. Here, we'll play a little game. Okay, finish this phrase. Peanut butter and... Okay, be fruitful and... Multiply. Multiplication is almost always paired with fruitfulness in the Bible. Now, it's not just talking about having babies, which is fine. I want to be clear, though. You know, I, clearly, I really want you to be plugged into Jesus Christ and engage fully in the mission of making disciples. But I want to be absolutely clear that I will not be able to concentrate until this slow-moving line of children moves by that door. They're all walking by like this. They're doing really good. I am so easily distracted this morning. I apologize. If you, if you walk out of here and you start, you take this really seriously, and you're like, man, Matt is right. He's such a great speaker and so convincing. I'm going to go out, and I'm going to really apply myself to, to abiding in Jesus and making disciples. I'm going to apply myself to that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Then I'll be clean. Then I'll be grafted in. Then I'll have God's love. I want to make sure you know that that's not how it works. In Christ, you already are clean. You're already grafted in. You're already loved. Therefore, live accordingly. Just like we talked about at the beginning. You you know you're supposed to eat healthy things so you can live. Therefore, live accordingly. Don't eat half a carton of ice cream. Hiding in a corner. This is your design. Live accordingly. Um, you don't have to be... Some of us live as though we are adopted children who are still trying to earn our sonship. No, you already have it. So just enjoy it. Just live. So what does this uh, look like specifically? I'm just going to give you some examples now. Um, that's the hard work of the text. This was a kind of mind-bending passage for me for some reason this week. Um, well, before I give you the examples, one quick note. Some of you may believe that one can lose their salvation after they become a Christian. And this passage is sometimes pointed to in support of that. Um, because if you're, you don't bear fruit, Father cuts you off, throws you in a fire. That sounds, sounds like it might be saying that, right? Um, a, I don't believe that's what it's teaching. I don't believe one can lose their salvation once uh, God's given it to you. You didn't do anything to earn it. You're not doing anything to maintain it. It's God's initiative, God's free gift. Um, I don't think that's what it's saying for a couple of reasons. For one thing, like in verse 8, it says, it's talking about bearing fruit, bear fruit, bear fruit. And then in verse 8, it says, by bearing fruit, you prove that you are a disciple. So I think there's a lot of things that look like branches that are fruitless and really are, were never disciples to begin with, if that makes sense. Um, but my main point in bringing that up is the people that I've heard argue that passages like this mean that you can lose your salvation, they say things like, oh, those Baptists, they'll, they think you can do whatever you want and still be saved. And I think that misses the point. Um, it's not our spotless morality that proves we're disciples. It's our fruitfulness. 
often in those discussions, they're not talking about fruitfulness and making disciples. They're talking about they drink, they smoke, they cheat, they cuss, you know, those things. The emphasis of the passage is fruitfulness of loving people and making disciples. And that's the emphasis of our church. Um, I don't think I've ever guilt-tripped you guys about things morality-wise. Because really, I know I'm probably worse off than a lot of you morality-wise. I know my sin way better than I know yours. I think that your desires are going to grow and they're just going to overtake all of your sin problems as you get to know Jesus more and as you get more engaged in making disciples. So really, I want you to turn your attention away from nitpicking over your sin all the time and turn it towards other people and pouring in and making disciples. So I have several examples of what this has looked like in my life. Okay? Number one, um, just so you guys know what this looks like in, in reality, um, I'll start with my mom. I've talked to you about her a number of times. She loved me and my brother, and she really tried to make disciples out of us. She prayed for us. Uh, she took every opportunity she could to teach us little things that are true about God and Jesus and, and reality and sin. And um, I've told you before, I don't even really remember all the specific things she taught me. But the, the whole picture shows a worldview that is biblical, and that's about Jesus, that she gave to me and my brother. Now, it was up to us what we did with that. But as a parent, you can apply yourself toward making disciples. And that might open the door to joy for you. Because you might instead be wondering why these kids won't just obey me. They're not going to. (laughs) You can maybe turn your focus off of those things that you're hoping will make you joyful and just give up on that and instead pour into people. Maybe you start with your kids. Um, Another example, I wrote them down because I knew I'd forget. Okay, a friend. Maybe you can be making disciples as a friend. I had a friend named Jonathan Bird. Uh, He was my same age. And we went to a new church when I was in eighth grade. And they had a youth group similar to ours, similar size as ours. And he just took it upon himself to befriend me and pursue me, pursue a relationship with me. Uh, He invited me over to his house for Nerf Wars, where we would all go in his basement and destroy things and shoot each other with Nerf guns. And, you know, I didn't know him. He could have easily remained in his shell with his crowd he was comfortable with. But instead, he stepped out of that to get me. And I see now that was the love of Jesus in him, trying to make disciples. And we were in eighth grade. So you young people, this is for you. Um, ministers are examples. Uh, my old pastor, Barry Bird, my old youth pastors, Jimmy Dale and Adam Ponder, uh, in their own ways, they were discipling me, you know, in, in more of a ministry context, but not always. Uh, like Adam Ponder, he just tried to hang out with me. He just, uh, out of thin air, made me an intern. I didn't ask to be an intern. He just decided I was going to be his intern, and it was an excuse for him to give me books to read and tell me I had to read them. And so I did read them, and I started to actually realize I can read, and there's good stuff to read out there. It might look like that. It might look like giving a book to somebody. I don't know. It looks like a billion different things. Um, who else? I'm going to just carry this with me. Oh, yeah, Doug Hyatt. Doug Hyatt was about, I don't know, he seemed like he was eight feet tall. 
He was just a guy at my church that I grew up in. He sung in the choir. He was just a guy like you guys. Um, worked at uh, the steel mill in Monroe. What is that? A Kovac or something? Oh, yeah. Who said that? He just worked at a steel mill. He was a family man. He had two kids. Um, and he just took it upon himself to always be there for the young people in the church. I remember one time he even drove all the way out to my house with his bike because he knew I was into bike riding as much as a middle schooler is into bike riding. And he was seriously into it. He had the street tires and everything. And we just went and just rode around. And I, he just, I, see, I look back now and I see he was loving me and he was just trying to, in his way, help me to grow up as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And his wife was in it with him too. They would go on youth trips with us and try to pursue us. And it was beautiful. Um, and he was busy. He had young kids. Uh, Tony Jordan and Thomas Lockamy, they taught our Sunday school class. Regular guys working regular jobs, uh, taking their time to try to teach us. Again, that's more of a specific ministry within the church, but that's how they did it. Um, a guy named Elliot and a guy named Kurt, they, uh, at our church in Raleigh when I was in college, they pursued relationships with me and Meredith. And, you know, they ended up being the guys I would go to for counsel when my life started falling apart because of sin that I had, had nurtured in secret. Uh, these guys were there for me. And they weren't anything special either. Now, they were in seminary with me. Um, they're just friends. Maybe there's friends that you guys need to look at a little differently and love a little more deeply. Now, there's others, but uh, last one I'll mention was a guy named Garen Kirkpatrick. He was in high school with me. Again, just a normal guy, but dead serious about his faith and took every opportunity he could to just, in conversation, just say what's true, mention the name of Jesus. He invited me to go to um, Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. You know what I'm talking about at First Baptist Indian Trail where they try to scare the sin out of you and scare you into Jesus? By the way, I'm not sure I agree with all that, but he invited me there because he loved me. Um, this is for you. This is the lifestyle. This is what we're after. All the programs in the world at our church will not make disciples. People make disciples. So if you're lacking joy this Christmas, yes, this does have to do with Christmas. And looking at the manger scene in, this, in the cuddly baby Jesus doesn't fill your heart with joy. That's because nothing that you plug into your life is going to fill your heart with joy. It's about what you're plugged into. Jesus Christ, living in light of the fact that you've already got it all in Jesus Christ. You're already clean. You're already loved. And then pouring into other people, loving people, loving people, love your spouses, love your kids, love your family, love your coworkers, love your friends, love the strangers at the supermarket. But don't just love them in the sense of being nice to them. Try to urge them toward Christ. And Jesus told us all this. Why? He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete or full. And what was Jesus' joy? What, what was he up to while he was on earth? Making disciples. It wasn't the 12 nice guys. It wasn't the 12 pleasant friends. It was the 12 disciples. And his joy was complete. And that's what he wants for us. All right, let me pray for us and I'm done.
Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would uh, make plain to us the truth that is in this text. I pray that you would straighten out any uh, confusion I may have added to it. I pray for those who are not Christians, those who are fruitless in their lives, and it's for a reason. It's because they're not plugged into Jesus Christ. Maybe they're plugged into church, but not Jesus. Well, I pray that you would make that plain, and I pray that you would save souls, and that you would graft everybody in this room into Jesus Christ, and that that life and love would start flowing through us, and that we would start bearing fruit, multiplying, making disciples, loving people, that it would begin today. And that this congregation would be known for its joy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.